I believe that uh, when we walk in intimacy with the Lord, our whole life changes. Your past, your present, your addictions, your struggles, the things that people have done to you, the way people have abandoned you or labeled you, the things that you have partnered with in your heart and mind, I don't care what they are. Only He has the authority to tell you who you are. We have to ask Holy Spirit to download His heart to our heart. We have to be people who raise their hands and say, I'm here, this is my city, this is my region, it's not somebody else's problem. We've been talking about intimacy, and for our sake of our conversation today, I want to define intimacy. And what it is, is, is really, if you look at it technically, it means, it means unity, it means fusion. But for us, it really is having one heart with God, by the Holy Spirit through Christ. We believe that God is, is made a way for us to walk in, a, in such depths of intimacy that we would be able to say, we have one heart with God and that we are we are one with him and that he has pursued our heart and that he has made a home in our heart. It is it is truly pursuing him. It is our choice to pursue him and it is our choice to make space in our life for God to make his home in us. And for me that's a lot what intimacy means. It is it is also that daily awareness. I think there is when we talk about intimacy we need to talk about that awareness, that daily awareness of the Holy Spirit and uh, throughout our day what is he saying to us? How is he leading us? What is our response to different situations and places and things that may happen to us? And, but what we have to be really careful not to do is turn intimacy with God into some kind of to-do list or a task that we said, oh yeah, I checked my, I did my quiet time and I read my devotions. I had uh, my chicken soup for the soul and I read, uh, uh, I don't know, yeah, no, I read my Oswald Chambers like every other Christian on the planet. So I have therefore had my intimacy time. We don't want to turn it into a, 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 something that we check on a list. We want this to be something far greater than any religious exercise that we, that we complete in our day because really it is so much more and it is that reality of experiencing him. Intimacy is something with God is something that we should be experiencing, that we should be feeling, that we should be aware of throughout our day, that, there is, that we are one with God and that we are walking in unity of heart, of mind and passion and our desires are coming into alignment with him in that place of communion throughout our day with God. And so the, th the reason that we build intimacy as the core of this church, and every January we spend time talking about intimacy, and the reason that we can talk about it and challenge people to it is because it isn't something that is contingent upon us. It is something that God desires for us and has made a way for us. A.W. Tozer, uh, we love to quote A.W. Tozer around here. We like to call him Ah Tozer because when we read his great, his great uh, quotes, we all go, ah, that's so good. But... <laughs> He's an author and, a, and, a, and a, was a preacher and an author. And so what he says, and I find this perfect for our series on intimacy, is our pursuit of God is successful only because he is forever seeking to manifest his presence to us. It begins with him. It is accomplished because of him. The only reason that we can say, oh, I have intimacy with God, I have pursued his presence, is because why? Because he started by pursuing us and making a way for that. And I want us to remember that and stay in that place. This is that we get to be able to allow Holy Spirit to connect us with God. 
no matter what state our life is in, we believe that he is forever seeking to manifest his presence to us. I know that there are people in this room that are experiencing the best times of their life. And I know there are people in this room that are experiencing the hardest and most difficult times of their life. And I know that there are people in every different scenario in between. And I want us to know that it isn't about getting to one side to be able to say, now I can expect his presence to show up. It is that he is pursuing you into wherever you find yourself and he wants to make himself known to you and he wants to open his heart to you and he wants to share his secrets with you and he wants to be so deeply in love with you that you would know it and you would experience it in every single area, that he is our lover. He wants intimacy with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be known by you. He wants to live face to face with you, heart to heart with you. And he wants to teach us that as we receive his love entirely, that we are able to then return his love fearlessly. And that's a powerful thing when we discover what does it look like for people to be fully alive in Christ is that we are able to love God fearlessly. We are not afraid that our love is not gonna measure up and he's gonna reject us. We're not afraid that we're gonna gonna go in for a hug with God and he's gonna turn his shoulder to us or say, you're not good enough, you didn't do this, you didn't do that. And as we begin to come fully alive in Christ, we realize that we can let our whole hearts go to him fearlessly and without reserve. That's what we want to get to that place where we are no longer held back by anxiety or worry that he would ever leave us or forsake us or turn his back on us. We can be fearless in pouring out our love to him because he is that present. He is that powerful and he is that good. And that's what I had to discover in my own personal journey. See, I knew God as a father. I knew God through Christ as a savior. I knew God through Holy Spirit as a crazy show up and mess everything up in the most powerful and crazy, cool, fun ways. I knew these interactions that I had in my relationship with God as I grew up a believer. But what I never experienced was a God who was my lover, who wanted to have a sacred romance with me, who wanted to be intimate with me in the, in the most secret places of my heart and of my life. And so I was content for a long time to say, oh yeah, God is my father. God is my savior. He is a friend who is closer than a brother. He is my empowerer. And I knew those things, but I thought that this need for love and to be pursued would be met by a girl who I would eventually marry, and her name was Kate. She hasn't fulfilled any of my needs. And I just want to talk about it today. In my, early, in, our, in, in my early 20s, I'm so disappointed. In my early 20s, we were going to get married. I know you guys, I, I teach this message every year, so some of you have heard this story, but if you have, bear with me, nod your head, pretend it's amazing. Um, in my early 20s, I was saving for a ring because we had talked about getting married, and it was going to be incredible, and we were going to change the world, and so then she broke up with me. And, um, and so, I know, I know, shocking. People are like, why didn't you stick with it, Kate? <laughs> um, so for, for, for two years, we were apart. And in those two years, God deconstructed my life and my heart so profoundly, all the way down to the most foundational things. And he said to me, I love you. And those needs that you have that you think are going to be met by a girl or a woman are going to be met by me. 
I want to meet that place in your heart that is longing for a lover. I want, to, I want to meet that place in your heart that is so desiring to be pursued and to be wooed. And I was like, God, this is super awkward. Are we really, is this really happening right now? But it was what he was showing me was that any place that I tried to get my needs met through someone else that he hadn't already met those needs inside of me was always going to be insufficient. And I didn't realize that. And I thought, okay, father, savior, brother, empower. And then she was going to be the one that met that heart need. And he wanted to be the one that met that heart need. And so over that process of those two years, I began to walk in levels of intimacy that I'd never experienced before. And God began to woo my heart and, be, and, and bring me into those places of romance and, and, and drawing me into safety to open my heart to him in ways that I never thought possible. And it's a good thing that I did. I will tell you what, it is a dang good thing I did because when I met Kate again, two years later, we hadn't had much contact, I was an entirely different person. I was no longer the, I said first service, I'm no, I was no longer the jack wagon. Everyone's like, what in the world is a jack wagon? Well, that's what you say when you don't want to say the other thing. You say jack wagon. So when, when I came back into relationship with Kate, she had this... Go, experienced a guy who maybe had a relationship with God, but was also full of pride and was also needy because I was needing her to fulfill me and meet my needs. And what she discovered when we got back together was here is a man who has encountered the Lord and he no longer has these needs because God has met them. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and give you like this picture of, um, of Christians that have no, no needs at all. Like, oh, I've met with Jesus. I have no needs whatsoever. Don't hug me. I don't even need hugs. I don't need anything. <laughs> I will. I still had needs when we got married, okay? But <laughs> yeah, it was good. And what happened, focus, I will refer to you what I said earlier. It was in the fact that I had my needs, these needs met by, by God first that I was able then to allow a human to meet those needs through Christ. It is the places where we haven't allowed him to meet our needs that are unhealthy. But once those needs have been met by God, we are okay to have needs with other humans and in relationship. You guys have relational, physical life needs. It's fine. You can have those, but make sure that the source of those being met is in God first. Otherwise, you will constantly be drawing your meaning, your purpose, your uh, intimacy, whatever it is, from all sorts of other things. God first. Then we can have those needs being met by other people. And this is the, the journey that God brought me through. And really what it did is it awakened in us a desire to bring believers into new levels of intimacy with God and to challenge them and encourage them and to remind them that they have a God who is their father, a good father who is their savior, but is also their lover who pursues their hearts and romances them and is jealous over them. And so our desire at Living Waters here as we lead this church is that Every single one of us, the thing that should drive the life of every believer in Jesus Christ isn't that we would earn his love and affection as a wage, but that we would receive it as a gift. We are not here performing. We are resting. We are resting in and enjoying his presence. We are enjoying intimacy with him. And the reason that we can access that intimacy is through the completed work of Jesus Christ. That is our invitation through Christ. It is not a demand that he puts on you. It is not hoops that you have to jump through. He is saying, I made a way 
for you to walk into my heart. I want to have intimacy and love, a love relationship with you like you've experienced nowhere else and in no other way. He made that way through Jesus Christ. And it was a crazy and profound and dramatic invitation that he made to us. He was he was showing us how powerfully that he was opening that invitation to us. In Matthew 27, 51, it tells the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And it says, after he had died, he had cried out and he gave up his spirit. At that very moment, it says in Matthew 27, 51, at that very moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That was the veil. During the lifetime of Jesus, the temple was the center of everything. And it was the center of Jerusalem and the, and the Jewish religious life. And in that temple was a room called the Holy of Holies. And outside of that room was this curtain or this veil. And it was 60 feet tall and it was four feet thick. And Jesus wanted to invite us into his presence and he wanted his presence to come out to meet us. And so this is how he displayed that. When he died on the cross in that moment, that veil was torn in two. And it is symbolic that we are no longer separated from God's presence by our unrighteousness, by our sin, by the lies of the enemy. That is what it was. It was there to say, nobody can come through this giant veil into the Holy of Holies. They only had one priest who would go through and be able to make atonement, sacrifices for all the people. Nobody could go in there. And it was the separation of God's presence from the people. And God was saying, no longer do I want to be dwelling in a temple made by human hands. And so that veil was torn and he was able to come out and meet us. And we were able symbolically through Christ to be able to now access the presence of the living God. And so we are no longer separated and God has moved out to us. Acts 17, 24 says this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. He had had enough of our sin and our unrighteousness separating us from his heart. He pursued our heart. He loves us, and he himself was the veil. Jesus laid down his life that that would be torn open, that we would be able to come into God's presence, and that God's presence would be able to come out and meet with us. But the question is then, what happened to the temple? What happened to this holy of holies where God dwelt? Where did it go and what is God's dwelling place on the earth now? If he no longer dwells in the temple which got destroyed, if he no longer dwells in the holy of holies and behind that veil which was ripped open, where does God dwell on earth now? Well, through Jesus Christ, he dwells in us. And that's the powerful truth of his love and his intimacy is that he wants to be one with us. He wants to be alive in us. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? Galatians 2.20, when Paul is talking about being resurrected in Jesus Christ, he says, it is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. What is the dwelling place of God? It's no longer behind a veil. It's no longer separated by sin and shame and lies. He tore that and he came out and he said, I want to live in you. I want to make my home in you, in our hearts 
Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. This is Paul's prayer for the early believers. I pray that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell, so that Christ may make his home in your hearts through faith. He wants to make his home in us in us, in us, that we would be one with him. We would walk at that level of intimacy with him. And to the degree that we walk in that relationship of intimacy, here is the powerful thing that transpires through intimacy. And this is why it is so foundational to us as a church, because we believe it is through intimacy that we are transformed to become more and more like Christ. I don't know what intimacy looks like for every single one of us, I believe that each of us are as unique as the person next to us, the way that we interact with God, the way we hear from God, the way we walk out intimacy with God. It is different. You are different. You don't have to be like anybody else. Shake off that lie that walk, you walk into a room like this and go, I got to be like the guy up front. I got to be like this lady over here. She looks like she has it together. He looks like he has it together, blah, 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 blah. Maybe I'll hear the way they hear. Maybe I'll interact with God the way they interact with God. You are so uniquely made. And he loves you and he loves interacting with you. So I don't know what intimacy looks like for you. I don't know what hearing from God looks like to you or for you. But here's what I do know. I know what the result of intimacy with God looks like for every single one of us. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. I pray that out of the riches of his... Wait, no. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. I was going to repeat the same verse just in case you weren't listening. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18 says this, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, and this is the invitation, and if you're in this room and you haven't turned your life to Jesus, I want you to hear this verse as a promise and as an invitation. We don't need a big show of it. We don't need to play music and come down to the front. This is an opportunity for you in your heart to say yes to Jesus and to begin this journey of walking with him. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces, there's that veil that has been removed, that veil of shame because of sin, because of unrighteousness. Jesus dealt with it. He dealt with it physically, and he also dealt with it spiritually, so that when we turn to the Lord, any veil that we would hide behind is removed from us, and we can stand before God with, in freedom, and we, with unveiled faces, which means we are, uh, with unveiled faces, we reflect, we contemplate, we can see the Lord's glory, that because of that, we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That's intimacy. When we can stand face-to-face with him, that's intimacy. And when we stand face-to-face with him, we are transformed by his freedom and by his spirit to become more and more like him. And so while I may not know what intimacy with God looks like for you, I do know what the result is. You can tell me that you're following Jesus. You can tell me that you have a relationship with Jesus. You can tell me you've been following Jesus for 106 years. If you don't look more like Jesus, you're not following Jesus. Because I have this promise from his scripture that says, when we turn to Jesus, the veil that would be between us of sin and shame is torn away so that we get to be face to face with him. And as we contemplate his greatness and his glory and we look into him, he looks into us and we are transformed, becoming more and more and more free 
and like Jesus. So I don't mean to sound like a jerk. I'm not judging you. I'm simply saying that if we're going to walk face-to-face in intimacy with God, you know what's going to be a result of that? We're going to end up being more and more like his son. That should be the thing that we look at and say, okay, God, this is why I want intimacy, because I don't want anything between us. I'm tired of this stuff that tries to get back between us. I want to be free from that. I want to be face-to-face with you, and I just want that transformation to continue throughout my entire life, that every day, through intimacy, I would be more and more like you. Intimacy is a beautiful process. And while I've said earlier you can't earn it, what you do have to give God is a constant yes, and it's a willingness to travel with him into deeper places. It's a willingness to travel with him into sometimes difficult places. But we're not trying to reach it as a destination. It is oftentimes the journey of intimacy with him that brings us into the places of freedom that he wants to bring us to. But we can't be afraid to invite him into places where we don't have everything figured out and everything together. It is in intimacy that he says, I want to go to the places where you are most afraid. I want to go to the places where you are have a fear of failure. I want to go to the places where you have anxiety or worry or where things aren't quite together or you're making mistakes or you're compounding mistakes or whatever it might be. He's like, my intimacy, I want to show up for you in those places, not in, only in the places you have it together. And it is in the allowance of walking this out as a process and not turning it into a destination that, allow, that invites him to be a part of our everyday journey and we link hearts with him and we link arms with him and he takes us into those deep places in good seasons and in hard seasons. And that we would learn as people to be bold in going after things that remove us from places of intimacy with God. And this beautiful journey that is a yes, but it requires entrusting him with our heart. This allows him, as we entrust him with our heart, what I see happening is that we are breaking this need that we have for a master and we are being restored to a place of being in relationship with a lover. And as we give him our heart and we're saying, okay, I don't want to just follow a master. I want somebody who's going to come with me and be with me in this process. And as we trust him and we give him our heart, our heart is restored. And then our heart is able to contain the love and the truth and the hope that he wants to pour into us. My unrestored heart without Christ, I can't contain or hold any of this. But when I give it over, my whole heart, giving it over to the Lord and saying, you can have my heart. Restore it, make it new, open it up, expand it. And he does those things so that his love can make a home in our hearts, as Ephesians said. And that's what we want to invite him to in this place of relationship. And so I want to talk just for a minute practically, okay, what does it look like then? This is great. You've talked about intimacy. I get that it's not some sort of religious exercise. It's not a box that I have to check. I get that it's only through Jesus Christ and that it's by his invitation of tearing the veil, opening up his life, laying down his life even as the veil that we would be able to step through into intimacy. Great. Let's talk about practically how this walks out and what this looks like. Here's how it looks to me. In Psalm 42, we have verse, actually all of Psalms, there's verses like this, but you guys know the one. As the deer longs for the water or pants for the water, so my, if I go King James Version with you, so my, so my soul panteth after thee. As my soul, as the deer longs for the water, so my soul longs for you. I want us to be people who have a longing in our hearts for more of God. Not as beggars, because we don't have any of God, but because when we experience him, it creates such a deep hunger for more that we're like, oh, you poured out yourself on me all day today, and I cannot wait. I want more of you. And that we would have a longing 
in us to say, I want more, I want more, I want more. We're not begging. We're just being in love. And if you can hearken back to the days when you were in love. Or today. Or today. I'm just kidding again. I'm making jokes again. You hang out with the person all day. And you're like, I want to hang out with them tomorrow too. You don't like, oh, that was cool. Good, I got enough. See you next month. It's like, I drive her nuts because I'm constantly like, hey, what's going on? I just want to stand by you. I just want to hug you. I just want to, can I just, it's cool. Don't mind me while you're doing dishes. It's all right. I just, because it's never enough. It's never enough. And that's what David is talking about in that heart to say, I long for you, God. And the promise and the beauty of this intimacy practically is this. When we seek God with all of our hearts, when we seek after God, we have this promise that is in James 4, 8, as we draw near to God, that he would draw near to us. So what is the trick or the technique? I have no tricks. I have no techniques, but I do have a promise that says if we would simply draw near to God, that he would draw near to us. And it's not that he's this standoffish God who's like, well, yeah, okay, you take the first step. It is this God of anticipation that cannot wait for us to move towards him and that he meets us and more to say, I love that you're stepping towards my heart. Here's my heart. I don't want to freak you out, but here's everything. Woo! And you were like, oh, okay, this is great. This is his heart is to just meet us in that place where we would step towards him. And he goes, that's the person that I want to meet. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want to challenge you that in your situations that you may be feeling like God is distant or far off, that he is absolutely not. Step towards him. Get a hold of your heart and bring it towards him. Help is coming. Redemption for your situation is coming. Strength is coming. Power and healing. Restoration is being released. He is not a God who is far off. And you might say, but it doesn't feel like he's come near. I want you to not worry. I want you to trust that he is near and he will continue to show himself up Show himself to be near you in every area of your life. And he may not show up exactly as you expect. He may not do all the things that you expect him or want him to do. But then we get that to be, walk in this place of maturity as believers where we lay down our expectations and we pick up expectancy and everything begins to shift. Why? Because expectation says, here's my box, God. You got to show up right this way. Here's my target. You got to hit it the way that I want you to hit it. You got to do the things that I want you to do. Otherwise, I'm going to go sit in the corner and pout and say, God's not showing up for me. Because why? Because we've put expectations out. But if we would lay down those expectations, we pick up expectancy, and expectancy is entirely different. It's not that I have a box. It's that my life becomes a box and says, God, here I am. Whatever it looks like, just show up. My life becomes a target. I don't know exactly what it is, but God, I just know that you are going to show up because expectations lead to disappointment. Disappointment leads to bitterness, but expectancy leads to anticipation. And my challenge to you is, are you anticipating the goodness of God that says, if you will seek me, I will meet you and I will show up anticipating. You anticipate that God is going to come, that he's going to move, and you will begin to walk in that place of faith being stirred up in you. Because this is the promise that Jesus gave even to his disciples as he was teaching them to pray. Luke 11, 9 and 10, everybody who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be open to them. If we don't stop asking, if we don't stop seeking, if we don't stop knocking, if we don't give up, if we quit quitting, think about that one for a while. 
Wait, you want me to quit quitting? This doesn't make any sense at all. All right. I'm funny, okay? If we don't stop asking and seeking and knocking, we will discover these unfolding degrees of intimacy with God. Because even now, right now, in this place, he is near to you. And his challenge, Jesus' challenge to his disciples was not to give up, ask and seek and knock. Jesus' challenge in that passage, if you want to go read it, it goes further than that. And he said, if somebody, if your friend is asleep and you want some bread from them, just go pound on their door. And keep pounding on their door and keep pounding on their door and keep pounding on their, for the, on their floor. Keep pounding on their door. They're not going to give you bread because they're your friend. They're going to give you bread because you were persistent. And this is his challenge to his disciples when he's teaching them. Teach us how to pray. Here's how you pray. Kingdom come, will be done on earth as in, as in heaven. Pray this way. Knock, seek, ask, don't stop. And even if the door is closed, keep knocking. If we would quit quitting, if we would keep knocking and keep seeking, it is not that we earn it is that we believe the promise and we trust the process and we keep knocking because he is good and he is going to show up and he's going to do powerful things because he's already showing up and he's already doing powerful things. We simply have to stop getting so frustrated that we're missing what God is doing because we're pouting about what God isn't doing. <laughs> James talks about this. He talks about how People were uh, in the Bible. James is in the Bible. It's a book. Um, <laughs> you don't have what you need because you aren't asking God for it. And he was talking about resources, but I believe that it's also true of us spiritually. And what he was really saying to them is that you're trying to get your needs met your own way because you don't believe that God is good and will give you what you need. And this is the lie of religion, and it is a lie that is directly against your, your worth to God. It is the same thing that we might do in this place, in this conversation about intimacy, is that we might believe that we're not worthy of intimacy, that I don't deserve intimacy. I've done this, I've done that. What do I, who am I? Who am I so proud and prideful, both of those things, that I, this, I, who am I to think that I deserve intimacy from God? Why would God want to be in a love relationship with you? Why would God want to be face to face with you? And we begin to believe that lie, and so we don't ask. And then we don't have intimacy because we're not pursuing, asking, seeking, and knocking, saying, God, I want intimacy with you because somewhere along the line, we believe that God doesn't want to be face-to-face -face with us. He doesn't want to be in love with us. He doesn't want to say, all of this stuff between us, I just want to be with you because you are valuable to me, and I created you for intimacy. I would pour my love out on you. You are worth it. And so this lie of value that says, oh, I'm not even going to ask because I don't deserve it. You've disqualified yourself standing on a false premise instead of standing on a true promise. And the true promise is that he's made a way, tore the veil through Jesus Christ to be able to say, I have intimacy for you. I want to meet with you. I want to be face to face with you. He rewards those who seek him. Hebrews 11:6 says this, without faith it is impossible to please God because anybody who comes to him must believe that he rewards those who earnestly or diligently seek him. What is the, what is the reward that we receive for seeking him? He is our reward. He is our portion. He is more than enough. 
And we believe, as Hebrews says, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That is my encouragement to you. It is not religious earning when you say, I'm going to see God today. Because we believe by faith in scripture that he is rewarding those who seek him with himself. And he is pouring himself out upon us. So I'll close with this. Intimacy flourishes when, in my life, these are just some notes that I, that I put together to say, this is, when, this is when intimacy with God flourishes in my life. Intimacy with God flourishes in my life. 1045, 12, okay, we're out of time. <laughs> Math. Math in church. <laughs> um, intimacy flourishes in my life when my attention is on him. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The challenge is in intimacy. If you want intimacy with Christ, fix your eyes on him. Put your attention on him. Let him be the focus of your life. There's so many things vying for your attention. There's so many reasons why you could tell me that you're too busy for this and too busy for that and too busy even to pursue God because you're so dang important that you gotta keep everything together for every single person in your life and you begin to believe this lie and you share this lie with everybody else all the while your heart is shrinking and dying inside and all it wants is saying, I want intimacy with my creator. If we would put our attention on him, fix our eyes on him, we would find that instead of all that stuff encroaching on us and beginning to determine and dictate our time and our day, that we would be, he would become foundational and everything else would be removed based on this core of my life. Intimacy with God is at the center and that God keeps my attention and everything else in my life has to come into alignment with that. And so we have to stay in that place of keeping our attention on him and then we have to keep in alignment with him. When my life is in agreement with his heart for me and for others, I'm aligned with him and supernatural uh, favor, supernatural reality flows out of my life. When I am connected with God and I'm in alignment with him, everything that he has can flow. When I begin to seek my own way and do my own thing and I break alignment and I pursue other ways of getting my needs met and other things, I break that alignment. But when I come back and say, God, I repent, forgive me. I wanna come back and live in alignment with you. Suddenly that reality begins to, of heaven begins to flow into my life and through my life. And it's like a blood transfusion where I can suddenly, I feel healthy again and I feel like I can breathe again. And that's what that alignment is that's taking place. If you guys, how many of you, I'm not gonna ask questions that you can't answer. If I was playing this guitar and I was tuning this car, the guitar, this is what alignment looks like. If the E string is right, if the E string is right, I can tune this guitar off of the E string. If the E string is wrong, I can tune the guitar off of that E string, but it's not gonna be in tune. It doesn't matter how much time I spend tuning these other strings. If the E string is off, it doesn't matter. But if the E string is correct, if my alignment with God is right, I can tune everything else in my life off of that. If my alignment with God is off, it doesn't matter how much I do or how much tuning or tweaking I try to do, it's not gonna change the fact that I'm out of tune. And that's what alignment looks like. And then finally, intimacy flourishes in my life when my appetite is for him. I need to stay desperate for God. I have to maintain an appetite and a hunger for his presence, which means I cut out things that temporary, temporarily satisfy me. 
I cut out things that are meeting needs that God wants to meet. I cut out things that are quick fixes and shortcuts. And I say, God, I don't want to be filled up on all the other stuff. I want to be filled up on you. And I don't want my hunger to be satisfied by things that are not eternal. Let me not feed on the temporary at the expense of my relationship with you and the internal reality that you have intimacy for me. I'll, give a, I'll, I'll let go of the other stuff. I will lay down stuff. If it is satisfying me temporarily, I'll get rid of that so that my hunger begins to grow in me every day to say, I want more of you, more of you, and more of you. You guys want to close your eyes uh, for a minute? I'm going to pray over us. First thing I want to say is if you're in this room and you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to say yes to him and you're hearing me talk about even that Ephesians verse that says that he wants to make a home in your heart, I would ask that after service that you would just come and talk with me. I'd love to pray with you and begin that journey and partner with you in that. For those of you that are following Jesus and you understand that through Christ that that veil is torn, that, you, that God has come out and he wants to live in you and be in you and be in intimacy with you, I want to ask you these questions as we wrap up. Does he have your undivided attention? Is your life in alignment with him? Are his goals your goals? Is his heart for your family, for the people around you, your heart? Is his life your life? And is your life hungry for his presence? Are you filling up on the temporary? My challenge to you is that you would remove anything that God brings to mind that is causing you to lay down or break away from putting your full attention, your alignment, and your appetite for God first. God, anything in our life that is ripping us off of unity with you, of focus on you, of having a heart for you, of having that, uh, being a lover who just says, I want more with you, more knowing you, more intimacy with you, more breakthrough with you. God, if there's anything in our life, would you show us so that we can remove that? Would you show us so that we can turn and come back into right standing with you, that we would be able to move forward in that place and experience the fullness of intimacy that you have for us. And I pray as a church that everything that we do would be out of this reality, that we have never earned a single thing, that this intimacy that you have for us is an absolute gift, but it would be a foundation for us, that we would be known as people who are walking in intimacy with our God. And because of that, we're able to walk in deep relationship with others without fear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.